Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word.
Hey, anybody here, some of you really old people, like 25 or up, uh, anybody remember what Memorial Day was originally called? Decorations Day. It was called Decorations Day because flags were put on the tombstones and at the grave sites of those who had given their lives for our country. And that was supposed to remind people uh, the decorations, the flags that were there, that this was uh, a special day of remembrance. But we not only put flags on graves at uh, Decorations Day, we did it on 4th of July uh, to remind people of that. Then it became Veterans Day. And so slowly people begin to say, well, it's kind of losing its distinctive. So the name changed from Decorations Day to Memorial Day so that people would really understand what this day was about, a day to remember the sacrifice that people had made for our country. And so the name actually became Memorial Day. I tell you that because when we look in our scripture, and we're over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, two different times in our scripture, Jesus uses the phrase, remember me, do this in remembrance of me, uh, Paul says. Have you ever seen a Lord's Supper table in front of a church and on the table it says, in remembrance of me? Uh, you know, uh, and so that term is going to be used here a couple of different times saying, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. So a couple of thousand years before we started Memorial Day, Memorial Day was going on as we remembered the sacrifice of Jesus. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. And the first thing we see is this. Sometimes we miss the point of why we come together as a church in the first place. Why are we here? What are we doing? Sometimes we miss the entire point of why we gather together. Look at verse 17 and see if you'd want this said about your church, about Westport Road Baptist, eleven seventeen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For when you meet together, you do more harm than good. How would you like that said about your church? When you meet together, you do more harm than good. Now, I tell you, I, I've, I've sat through some church services before where I felt like I was being harmed, especially when I was a teenager or something, and you're trying to, trying to endure the entire thing, and I'm, I'm shooting little paper wads at the Lord's Supper thing and counting the, the lights and the ceiling and everything like that, just trying to survive. But that's not what this is talking about. You're doing more harm than good. I've been in worship services. Uh, the first church I pastored, the pianist knew three hymns. And no matter what song we sang, it had to be to one of those three tunes. So we could sing every song in the hymn book, but it was going to be just one of those three tunes that you had to, had to sing it to as you kind of went there. Uh, and so, you know, I've sat through some services like, like that, but that's not what this is talking about. What he's saying to them is your attitude, your actions, and the reasons that you're coming together are doing more harm as a church than good. Now, those are some, some pretty damning words that are coming uh, out of Paul's mouth here to the church at Corinth uh, to kind of wake them up. But then he goes on and explains what he's talking about down in verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. So he's saying, okay, one of the things I've been told is that when you meet together, people are more worried about their differences than what they have in common. There are divisions among you. 
Now, the truth of the, problem, of the matter is, every church is going to have some sort of differences of opinion. We're going to differ on how we view some things in the Bible, differ on how we, we want to do certain ministries, uh, things like that. But what he's saying to them is these divisions are now causing problems in the church. They've gone from secondary matters to primary matters, and it's distracting the church. He said there are divisions in the church, and to some extent, I believe it. Who would ever believe there could be division in a church? Has anybody here ever seen a division in a church before? Yeah, I've, I've seen multiplication and subtraction. I've seen, I've seen division every once in a while. In the... Okay, so he goes on verse 19. Look at verse 19. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Wow, he just keeps laying it on. What he says in verse 19 is this. But of course, there has to be divisions because your group has to show they're better than everybody else. That's what he's saying. So there are cliques in the church. Who would think that there were cliques in the church? And these cliques uh, have to have a division because they've got to show our little group is better than any other group. Now, there are all different kinds of cliques that sometimes develop in the church. Sometimes it's just people that have gotten together, they're friends. Uh, there's no problem with people being friends and hanging out together. But when that becomes a closed group, nobody can get into that. Hey, we've got our little group of people and that's it. That's when problems start. Because the church is supposed to be a place where everyone is welcome, where everyone is invited in. And you don't just have your little group that stays off by itself. I had a, a friend of mine who, who pastors in another state tell me that he pastored a church that when they would have fellowship meals, there were groups of people that would get their plates and go into separate Sunday school rooms. So nobody could get in their little group. You know, no, this is our group. Stay out of our Sunday school class, you know. And, and that's how much of a division they were causing uh, in that kind of group. So the, these divisions are tearing them apart because everybody's got to show their best. Now, often we have some turf wars at church, you know. Uh, you know, who, who's going to say what goes on? Is it going to be the WMU? Is it going to be the deacons? Is it going to be the senior adults? You know, uh, you know, how we decide what's going on. Where's the power in churches? back and forth for divisions, you know, what's going to go on there, how, how, who's going to be in charge, who's going to do this. And so we fight all of these little turf wars as we go on. At Westport Road, I say to people all the time, if you want to be a deacon, there's two groups of people that you've got to get along with. The first group of people are senior adults, because senior adults kind of vote in a block there because they, they know this group of people, they, they work with them, and so they vote for everybody that, 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 that the same. And so you have this big block of votes from senior adults. And the second are the youth. You've got to know youth if you're going to be a deacon in this church. Do you know why? Because they only know five or six adults in the entire church. So if they know you, they will all vote for you. You know, so if you're thinking, I want to be a deacon, start hanging out with the youth group or something like that, because then you'll get every vote that there is there. Uh, so, you know, these kind of things that are pulling them apart, that are causing divisions. Look down to verse 20. Verse 20. He said, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Now, that's kind of a, chain, a, a switch right there. He's talking about divisions in the church, and then suddenly he starts talking about the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper and the way they were taking it was one of the primary divisions in the church. You see, and we're going to see this a little bit more. What's just going to read it? Verse 21. For when you were eating, some of you go ahead and have your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk, 
Don't you have homes to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What I say, I say to all of you. Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So what were they doing at the church in Corinth? Well, they were having what we would call today potluck suppers, except they weren't sharing their pot with anybody else except their group. So little groups were coming together and having kind of their meals together. So some people uh, didn't have a lot, and they would come in, and uh, they didn't have anything to eat. There was other groups came in. They were having a big feast over here in the corner with their little group. Other groups were over here getting drunk. And, and, and you're thinking, what church is this I want to join? You know, I, I, I don't know what's going on here. And, and so all these divisions were taking place. And somewhere in the midst of it all, as they were eating their meal, they would take what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, they would share the body and blood of Christ and have that moment of worshiping together. And Paul says, now, is this really taking the Lord's Supper when you have one group over here feasting, another group having nothing to eat at all, another group over here getting drunk, and you all having nothing to, to do with each other at all, and you think that you're taking the Lord's Supper? He says, that's not the case. I don't praise you for this at all. So Paul here talking about the point that sometimes we miss the point of why we're together as a church family. We still do that today. Uh, we come in and we think the point of being here on a Sunday morning is to be entertained. I've walked in this room now. The music had better be good and entertaining. Uh, Dennis had better have a smile on his face and be jamming on his lead guitar when, when he's up there. You know, Carrie needs to have that country twang when she's up there giving us, giving us that song that's there. And Chip, he better have pictures. I don't have any pictures this morning. I, I was, oh, yeah, yeah. Y'all ready to leave right now. What is the point? You know, why, why are we even here if Chip doesn't have pictures? You know, what's that? And so we come and we think we're going to be entertained. Being here is not about being entertained. Being here is not about what you want or what's going on uh, when, you, when you want to hear this hymn or that hymn. Being here is coming together for you to worship God with other people who are your brothers and sisters in a family together. Being here is for you to gain encouragement and strength and hope so that when you go out into a tough world out there, you're ready to encounter it. You're not coming here to be entertained. As a matter of fact, this may be one of the most important hours you will have all week because in this hour, you're supposed to center yourself and come to God and have God speak to you. And so sometimes we miss the point. So what Paul does for the remainder of our scripture, and it's just a few verses, what he does is he says, okay, you're meeting for all the wrong reasons. You're not doing it right. Now, let me give you some examples of what should be going on when you take this meal and be reminded of what it's all about. So he tells us really in verses 23 through 26 that the Lord's Supper reminds us of our common salvation and our unity. Our common salvation and our unity. And the first thing he says is this. We are all reminded when we take the Lord's Supper that we have sinned and betrayed Jesus. All of us have sinned and betrayed Jesus. Look down to verse 23 of our scripture passage. He says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. Who betrayed Jesus? Judas. So Judas was the only one of the disciples that turned his back on Jesus that night and betrayed him, right? So I say, who betrayed Jesus? Some people might say, well, Judas. Judas was the bad guy. Uh, how about Simon Peter? Did he betray Jesus that night? Three times, 
Peter it, uh, wouldn't even say that he knew Jesus. So three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. So we could say, well, Peter denied Jesus. But you know what? Peter was the only disciple that had the nerve to even go see what was going on. Judas betrayed him. The other ten fled and were in hiding. And Peter was the only one with enough nerve to even show up and try to do something about it. Now, he got scared when his life was on the line as well, but at least he was there. The other ten ran away in hiding. So who betrayed Jesus? Which of the disciples that night? All of them. Every disciple that night betrayed Jesus in one way or another. And what we're reminded when we take the Lord's Supper is that we're just like those disciples. There's not a person in this room that hasn't betrayed Jesus. Every one of us. And I'm talking about good Christian folk. I'm talking about people who are deacons and Sunday school teachers and staff members and senior pastors. Every person in this room, after you become a Christian, has at some time in your life betrayed Jesus and lived a way that was not glorifying to him. And we need to be reminded of that because none of us are perfect people. None of us get along in this life because we're good. We get along in this life because we are forgiven. And so we're reminded that all of us have betrayed Jesus. Now, look around the room and find somebody you don't like. And I know what you think, Chip, we're at church. We like everybody at church. Okay, look around the room and find somebody you like less than somebody else. Or some, maybe you're a guest and you walked in and you said, I just didn't like the way that person looked. You know, or like, look at them and then think to yourself and feel a little smug and think this. They betrayed Jesus. I knew that about them. They betrayed Jesus. Now I want you to get out a mirror. And I want you to look in the mirror and say, hey, guess what? That person I'm looking at, they betrayed Jesus. Do you see how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be bringing us together instead of pulling us apart? In the church at Corinth, it was pulling apart. But what they're reminded is, hey, we're all betrayers of Jesus. We share that in common. But not only that, we, betray, we share something else in common. We're reminded that the only way we are saved because we are betrayers is not through what we did, but through what Jesus did on the cross. Keep reading in our scripture, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember? We talked about that remembering uh, aspect of the supper. Verse 25, In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Jesus is talking about here the fact that the way that we gain salvation, the way we gain a right relationship with God is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us when we didn't deserve it. Jesus took our sins upon him. You are not saved. You are not put in right standing with God because you're a good person or you know the right things or you do the right things. If you had to depend upon yourself and your goodness to get to heaven, you would go to hell. But what Jesus did is he died in your place, taking your sins so that you could be forgiven and be put into a right relationship with God. The supper reminds us of that. When we take the bread, it is reminding us of his broken body. We've talked before, it, it wasn't like a loaf of, of Italian bread that you see or something. It was a cracker, a matzah cracker. You broke it, you could hear it. Jesus is saying, my body was broken for you. 
When he took that cup, that, that, that cup of wine, and you looked at that and you saw that cup, it reminded you of his blood. His blood was shed for you. And so we see that Jesus was our sacrifice for our salvation. All of us are betrayers. All of us are saved only because of what Jesus did. And so we look around the room again, and we see people that could not save themselves, but Jesus had to save them. And we understand that's where we are as well. That brings us to the next thing that we see. We are reminded in the same way that Jesus' sacrifice established a new covenant that brings us together as one family. Look down at verse 28. Verse 28 of our scripture passage. Everyone ought to examine themselves, therefore, before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. And so we're told there needs to be this time of examination of what's going on in our life. But look back up to verse 25. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant. Now today we talk about Old Testament and New Testament. Back then we were talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant. Uh, It's the same thing. A covenant was kind of like a legal document. You're signing a legal document. Well, the old legal document that we're talking about here was the law. You were following the law, trying to be right with God. You were following the sacrifice of a lamb, trying to forgive you of your sins on Passover. So, so during the Passover and the Exodus, they put the blood on the doorpost of the lamb, the angel passed over. In the same way, we're telling, okay, that old covenant is now gone. It's no longer the blood of bulls and goats. It's now the blood of Jesus. It's now his grace. And that brings us together as one. And that brings us to the last thing that we see here. When we remember these things, we should give thanks to God for our salvation and our new church family. Look at verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why are we taking the supper in the first place? We're told there's two things that are going on here. One, we're being reminded we can't save ourselves. Now, that could be a pretty individualistic thing, but it happens to all of us. None of us can save ourselves. We're all in this thing together. The second thing we're being reminded of is it's only Jesus' sacrifice, his broken body and shed blood. So none of us can save ourselves. It's through Jesus. But the next thing we're being reminded of is what Jesus did makes us a family. You see, in the original Lord's Supper that Jesus took with his disciples, there was one matzah bread, one cracker that was broken and given to each person. And they were reminded that they are now brought together as one. And then there was just one cup. They didn't have their, their, their little, uh, you know, uh, little Baptist shot glasses that we have there that, that, that we pass around or something like that. Uh, but, but they had one cup. And it reminded them that they were sharing in one sacrifice for Jesus. They came together as one. But look at that verse 26 again, the last thing it says. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You see, this is often a tough world. This is often a world with problems and troubles, and you're hit hard on a daily basis. And the supper reminds you, you don't get through this world by being tougher. You don't get through this world by doing the right things. You get through this world by Jesus loving you and forgiving you and restoring you when you mess up. You get through this world because he gave us one family. We're all in this boat together to get through it together. And so the supper reminds us, you know what? We have to hang on to this until the Lord comes. 
We have to hang on to the fact that we're forgiven when we don't deserve it through Jesus. We have to hang on to the fact that he's made us one family. And we have to be there to watch out and care for one another. And we do this and hold on to it until the Lord comes again. Now he concludes this section here on the Lord's Supper. And he talks about that verse we looked at a little bit earlier about examining yourself. So let's look at that uh, down in verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty against the body and the blood of the Lord. Woo! You take this supper in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I'm talking about you. So I've had people in my churches who say, dang on it, I'm never going to take that supper then. I don't want to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, so I'll never take it. Right? No, not quite. Here's the thing. He's telling them to get the right attitude and the right actions. So, if you come to this table and you say, you know, this really has nothing to do with me. It doesn't, I don't believe this. You're not taking it in a worthy manner. If it comes to you and you say to yourself, you know what, I've got sins in my life. There's things that I'm going wrong in my life, but I'm not going to repent of them. I'm not going to change the way I'm living. I'm going to do what I want to do. Then you're taking it in an unworthy manner. If it comes and you say, I've got things against brothers and sisters in this room and other places, but I'm not going to forgive them, then you're taking it in an unworthy manner. But if you're here today and you've messed up in life, if you're here today and life has beaten you down and you don't know if you can take another step and you've done the same sin over and over again and you want to scream and you stay here and you say, Lord, give me one more chance. Just forgive me, Lord. Give me strength. Give me hope. Then you run to this meal. You don't run away from it because it says to you, you are loved. You were forgiven. You're given another chance. Would you come and take it in the right way? So how do we take it in the right way? Let me give you two tips for examining ourselves, because that's what verse 28 said that we read earlier. We need to examine ourselves. Well, here's the first tip, and the tip is just remember what Jesus did for you and be thankful for it. When you take this meal, remember, hey, I would go to hell if it was for me, but God loved me so much, he sent his one and only son. I'm only saved through him. And as you're, as you're preparing to take the meal, you just thank him. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for dying for me, for forgiving me of my sins. That's the first way you examine yourself. So do that. We're going to take a time in just a second. The second thing, though, is that when you take the supper, you take it for the right reasons and the right attitude. So check your reasons and attitude right now and say to yourself, are there sins in my life right now? If so, confess them to God. And say, Lord, I repent of those sins right now. Begin the process of stopping. We're not very good at repentance. We talk about grace all the time, but grace is only effective when you repent of what you've done wrong. So come here today and say, Lord, I know I'm doing these things wrong. I'm going to do my best to put them aside. I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. And with the right attitude, you approach this table giving your sins to God. If you do those two things, then you're coming to God in the right way. In just a second, we're going to take the, the supper. They're going to pass the elements out. You'll get both of them at the same time. Just hold them, and uh, we will take them together in just a second. But let's have a prayer. Father, help us, first of all, to be grateful for what you have done for us in our lives. And Lord, second, 
Help us to examine ourselves and see what sin is in us. And Lord, to ask your forgiveness and to repent of those things, to come to this table for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.